Welcome to Wines We Drink, a podcast for wine lovers and learners. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and together with my counterpart, Keith Herndon, we'll be exploring a new wine each week. Keith is a lover of wine, and I am a learner of wine, and we hope you'll continue learning and sipping along with us. Welcome back, everyone. We are so excited to have you with us on our fourth episode of our second season of Wines We Drink. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and I'm joined, as always, on this summer wine journey by my co-host, Keith Herndon, a certified wine sommelier. Charlotte, it is so great to be with you to drink some delicious wine on this uh, glorious summer day. Uh, And let me also say that it's great to be with our wonderful audience as well. Uh, we love hearing from everybody out there, so you know, keep that feedback coming. Your input sustains us. Absolutely. It's so cool seeing where from all over the world you're tuning in from, so definitely keep doing that. And we're back, listeners, in some familiar surroundings. Uh, after recording our first three episodes of the season of the second season at Tapped Wine Bar, we're back in our home studio in Keith's Wine Kitchen. We had a great experience at Tapped, and a big thanks to Todd and Angela Hurt for their hospitality. You can find all of the episodes, including our season two opening interview with Todd, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yes, uh, Tapped is a special place to drink and talk about wine, but it is nice to be back home today where, you know, all of the magic of this podcast began last summer. You know, it's hard to believe that we're already into the fourth installment of this summer's case of episodes. I know. Don't remind me. We're, We're coming up on July 4th holiday so fast, which basically is like the halfway point For summer, it's flying by already, so we should probably hurry up and get started. I guess so. I guess (laughs) Uh, so. Drinking and also talking about this week's wine, we've already explored a Greek, a Certico, and an Austrian Gruner Veltliner, so what do you have for us today? Well, over the past year, I've become fascinated with the amazing diversity and quality of white wines from throughout the European countries. Uh, The the wine world refers to that as the the old world, Mm. right? So let me tell you, it may be the old world, but the commitment to innovation in viticulture and winemaking there has never been stronger. There are dozens and dozens of wines that I could have chosen to to showcase uh, on our episodes this year. Uh, But I wanted to open our summer show with wines that are especially suited for that summer consumption, right? You know, we did that in the past two episodes, and we're continuing that today with an exceptional white wine an Italian gave from the Piedmont region. That's in the upper northwest of Italy. Mm, Wow. I mean, you've certainly selected some wines to open the season that are not commonly known, but the Assertico and the Gruner Veltliner we drank were so good. (laughs) So how does this gave compare? Well, Charlotte, let me first explain the naming of this wine. Uh, the, The other two that you mentioned are the grape varietals, the Assertico and the Gruner Veltliner. In Italy, however, many of the wines there go by the geographical area where it's grown and made rather than the varietal. So Gavi is located in the Piedmont region of Italy, but the wine itself is made with 100% Cortese grapes. Cortese. Yeah, that's not a grape I can say I've heard before. Yes, most of this grape is grown in Italy, but but even there, there's just over 7,000 acres planted, and 90% of those are in the Piedmont. Uh, a little is grown in the Southern Hemisphere, including in Australia, but this is mostly associated with Italy's Gavi, and, and rightfully so. They make some awesome wines there from this grape. Wow, okay, so we're really zeroing in. Um, let's get started. Which Gavi are we drinking today? 
Today's bottle is a wonderful 2020 vintage from Villa Sparina. Well, uh, before you even open the bottle, I have to comment on the bottle. And it's really because of the shape. You know, the, this bottle isn't really typically shaped like a wine bottle. It's completely unique. So listeners, I'll make sure to post a picture of the bottle uh, on social media. So be sure to check that out. But talk to me about this shape. Yes, it is a distinctive bottle. And the story behind it dates to the late 1970s when the Mokagata family bought the estate. Uh, a similar bottle was found in an old cellar and the family decided to hire a designer to create a new bottle inspired by that old one. Uh, the bottle has since become an iconic symbol of the Villa Sparina winery. That's so cool. I hope what's on the inside is as good as the bottle looks. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think you're going to be disappointed. So let me get this opened here. And uh, I'm going to uh, pour us a couple of glasses. So just give me a second here while I get the bottle open. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to pour. Wow. Yeah. As you're pouring the wine, I can see, you know, this one has a really vibrant color. It's it's coming out, you know, in the bottle it looks gold, but when it's coming out, it's really kind of straight up yellow. You know, last week we were uh, talking about that Gruner Veltliner, and we kind of described it as a pale gold, but I would say this one's more so just yellow. You got that right. When I first drank this wine, the first thought that came to me when I saw this wine in the glass was sunshine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, then I read the winery's own tasting notes about it, and it said, quote, most of the vineyards are close to the Villa Sparino Resort, surrounded by woods, caressed by the general Ligurian breeze, and kissed by the sun, end oh. quote. I was hooked. Oh, yeah. Wow. So put your nose into the glass and uh, let me know what first comes to mind. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, all of these old world whites we've been drinking lately have had some things in common. And this one just lines up nicely. Once again, immediately you just get hit with this bright citrusy aroma. And what that signals to me is that this wine's going to probably be pretty acidic, right? When you take a first sip and, um, you know, going off of the sunshine theme and the and the just straight up yellow, when you think of citrus, you think lemon. So it <laughs> smells lemony, but not in a way that's overpowering or sort of slicing through my nostrils. Well, you know, I, I think you surmised that uh, correctly. And, and, and uh, you know, this is an acidic wine. Uh, when you look at the tasting graph, for example, on the Vivino app, you know, soft is on the left side of that graph and acidic is on the right. Uh, the graph for this bottle is all the way to the right. Oh, wow. So that tells you this wine is is going to be mouth-watering. Mm. So take that first sip and, and tell us what taste you first think of. Okay. I joined you in that first taste oh, as yeah. well. As you should. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there is definitely that lemon zest. It's not as you know pronounced as I thought it might be, but there's some really good fruit flavors in that sip. I'm going back in. I'm joining you there. <laughs> so when you think about those other fruit flavors that you mentioned, I'll bet you can pick out something that is very familiar to those of us from this part of the country. So think about mm. a fruit that you might associate with where we're from. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, that, that definitely just pulled it right out of my mind. Second to the lemon, it's gotta be peach. At coming from the two Georgia peaches here talking to you today. Um, I don't know. I think there's, yeah, definitely some 
uh, peachiness to this wine. It's a very dry wine, um, uh, you know, and I think that, that that acidity is sort of playing into that. But there's also some hints of a sort of familiar sweetness um, I would think, you know, kind of, kind of like a honey. So it's, it's, there's floweriness to it coming through it, uh, maybe through the honey. Yeah, those are, those are some spot on descriptions. And, and like our other old world whites that we've been uh, drinking in our just recent episodes, you know, I get some hints of the stone fruits aside from peach. You know, there's some, especially some apricot coming through, which I like a lot in terms of, you know, wine flavors. Um, there's just a lot of layers here. You know, I also get hints of pineapple, mm. you know, so I think of this wine as a fruity example of these classic old world whites. It's dry, but there's some peach, there's some apricot, there's that pineapple, and then that touch of honey that you tasted mm-hmm. is definitely there. So, you know, I think this is a a wine that that has some layers of fruitiness to it. But when you start getting to the end and this finish uh, I think it finishes really long and, and strong and, and even some some nutty mm. notes, you know, maybe I would describe it maybe as almond. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, especially go, coming from the, the stone fruits, almond, I could definitely pick up on. And I will say, too, that um, if you're someone who is entering the wine world from the sweet white world, which is how I entered, um, I only liked sweet things and I only liked uh, white wine that this would be a great sort of pathway wine, you know, to exploring um, drier types of whites because there's still those familiar fruits that that just taste so, like you said, mouthwatering, um, but in a way that's a little bit more sophisticated. So I really like that. Um, you know, you also mentioned all of these different complexities and there's that pleasant, you know, minerality, my new favorite word that you taught me. Um, and, uh, and... I, as I'm sitting here talking, like the acid is really creating some saliva flow. Yes, but calling it mouthwatering just sounds better, don't you think? Yeah, saliva flow maybe is not <laughs> as sophisticated as we should be. Um, but either way, it's an incredibly flavorful wine. It's very distinctive. I also want to point out that like our wines in the previous two episodes, this Gavi is fermented exclusively in temperature-controlled stainless steel tanks. There is no oak aging going on here. This process, as we've seen across three different great varietals has resulted in very bright wines. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is another delicious wine. And that is really interesting about the process in which it's made, the pale color, the brightness of the wine. So are we staying true to our value quest this season, though? I mean, how much can our listeners expect to pay for a bottle like this, especially one that's such an interesting shape? <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, most of the wines are not priced by bottle shape. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, good. <laughs> right. But uh, before I mention the specific price, I, I want to emphasize again the quality of this wine. Uh, Villa Sparina was Wine Enthusiast Magazine's Winery of the Year in 2021. And its gave has been consistently high rated in recent years with vintages racking uh, all sorts of, uh, of awards in wine magazines and wine with wine critics. Uh, the 2018 vintage, for example, got a 92 score from Jane Suckling, the renowned critic, and was wine uh, enthusiast uh, uh, choice that year, the editor's choice. But I think the 2020 vintage is even better. Mm. And so far, the ratings on the Viveno uh, app are bearing that out. You know, the 2020 is the highest rated Villa Sparina Gavi on Vivino so far, and it's coming in as a top 5% wine in the world. Wow. 
So for this quality, will you believe that you can get this for under $20 a bottle? Wow. You should be able to find it around the $17 to $18 price point. You know, I think that represents one of the best values in the wine market today. Oh yeah, no, that's an incredible deal. I mean, this is just crazy to to think that there are wines that can be this tasty um, and also quite affordable. I mean, before I started working with you on this podcast, I always kind of associated that kind of wine quality and also, you know, funky shaped bottles, I guess, <laughs> um, with costing, you know, north of a hundred bucks. And so it's great to learn about these wines that have great value propositions and then share them with listeners who may have similar feelings to me. Yeah. And to our listeners, you know, always keep in mind that we're selecting wines on this podcast that we drink. We're not being compensated for these selections in any way. So you're getting my honest opinion about what I like and what I want to share with our listeners. And with me. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to take a short break and then return for our pairing period. Keith, I'm looking forward to hearing what works well with this exceptional wine. Welcome back to our fourth episode. We're now in the ever-glorious pairing period portion of the show, where Keith tells us his thoughts on pairing the wines we drink with complementary foods. So, Charlotte, I always subscribe to the notion that wines are meant to be part of our meals, uh, but to get the most out of our food and wine pairings, we need to understand the flavor notes of the wine and then use those notes to complement the foods with similar characteristics or with other characteristics that blend well together. So during the break, I brought out some Italian Fontina cheese that's noted for its nutty, creamy flavor. Mm. So there's some of this cheese on some crackers. So please take a bite of that and follow it up with a sip of agave. All right, I will do that. And so while you're tasting this, I'll add that I love Fontina cheese. It's, it's made with cow's milk and it's so versatile to eat alongside fruits and olives and it complements other strong cheeses that you may include on a, on a cheese plate. You know, uh, historically, this Fontina cheese dates all the way back to the 13th century, so we can say it has some staying power in, mm. our, in our food culture. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got some staying power on my palate as well. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned earlier you detected some nuttiness in the finish of the wine, and then so pairing that with this Fontina cheese really brings that out. And suddenly I can taste it and taste it really at the center of the tongue. And those nutty undertones in the cheese and the wine, it's all front and center. Yes, as I finish my bite of the wine and <laughs> cheese as well. You know, that's a great observation, you know. And for me, there's a tartness to the cheese that works with the lemon zest mm -hmm. of the wine. You know, there's a creamy, smooth texture of this cheese that helps cut the wine's uh, acidity a little bit. You know, I'm going to have another sip of the wine here as we oh, yeah, talk about absolutely. it. I'm going to eat some more of this cheese. You know, this becomes just a, a, an incredibly complimentary wine and cheese pairing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like oh. you said, the creaminess, it just um, blends so incredibly well with the dryness of the wine too. I don't think that this would work if if the wine were sweeter or that kind of thing. It just right. is an excellent combo. Right. It needs that creamy type of cheese, you know, to go with this. So, uh, you know, obviously 
Uh, I like those combinations when you are selecting a, a cheese that's 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 known for the you know being mm-hmm. that part of the Italian food scene, right. and then we're drinking this Italian wine, and so the the complementary there is is also culturally appropriate, right? right. It's just a wonderful you know uh, wine uh, cheese and wine pairing. Mm-hmm. Of course, it would make sense. Um, <laughs> so, but beyond the cheese, I'm interested to hear what you think um, in terms of other dishes that would pa- pair well with the wine. You know, so this wine works really well with grilled white fish. You know, and I would serve that white fish with a lemon sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you keep in mind how that creamy cheese texture works so well, you know, so then you could consider pairing this with a creamy seafood risotto, mm. right? Yeah. A, a rich pesto pasta dish also would be good. And, you know, and this might not immediately come to mind to a lot of people, but the acidity with this wine makes it a perfect match for sushi and sashimi. Mm. And those complementary tempura vegetables, wow. you know. So that's an issue where we were just talking about this cheese being from Italy and the wine being from Italy is a complementary match. But it also works with cross-cultural dishes where right. you can take this Italian wine and match it with, you know, Japanese sushi. And it's a perfectly good pairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, no, that's really interesting because it's you. it seems like you can't go wrong if you pair like with like. Right. But also you can abandon all of that and just start trying different combinations and seeing what right. tastes good. Right. So you're, you're, you're trying to find the things, you know, that, that, that um, sushi, for example, you know, the, the, uh, the, the raw fish or the, uh, the fish uh, flavors, you know, think about it. Sometimes when you're having sushi, you'll put lemon juice right. on it. Right. So you think of the wine having that lemon zest. Mm-hmm. Right. So it kind of works really well in that, in that regard. Sometimes you're eating sushi with maybe soy, mm-hmm. right? And that saltiness from the soy sauce, the lemon zest and the acidity of this wine, you know, just complements that mm-hmm. so well. So, right. right. Yeah, the logic is adding up. <laughs> and either way, all of it sounds delicious. Um, and this was another delicious pairing period uh, here on Wines We Drink. So, Keith, what's in store for our listeners next week? Well, I have to say that the Old World Tour when it comes to the countries, exactly, is over for now. Next week, we're in one of my favorite New World wine regions, Oregon's Willamette Valley, but we're going to be drinking a Pinot Gris, Mm. which is an old world grape that is now a New World stalwart. Okay. What's old is new again in Oregon with this (laughs) Pinot Gris. I am so there. Thank you, and thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thanks for listening to Wines We Drink. Listen to our other episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Wines We Drink and on Instagram at The Wines We Drink. Cheers.